Okay, so we're going to welcome everyone to this day long on boundaries. And I'm going to share my notes for oh. this day. Didn't you want to do precepts first? Oh, no, this is coming up. Oh, okay. Yeah. So when we start thinking about boundaries, and it's true that, you know, it's not like the Buddha talked about, he used that word. That's a more modern term that we understand, you know, like how do we take care of ourselves? And, you know, these are my notes, so it's a little, you know, um, cryptic maybe, but, you know, why do we need boundaries? Well, it's for our own good, and it's also for the good of others. And we want to be understanding and generous and kind, but we also don't want to let people take advantage of us or manipulate us or abuse us, and it's not good for them either. And, you know, we, of course, as we go through the day, be fleshing that out in in more subtle terms, perhaps, but there are also some really sort of glaringly obvious things that we want to talk about. And when we think about the Buddha and what he taught and where this topic comes up, the first thing, the first protection, the first clarification of how we interact with people is the five precepts. So I thought we would start by taking the precepts and I will change the sharing. So I'm gonna just share the precepts um, for you and I'll, I'll let you do the scrolling if you would. So when we don't, unless somebody is really interested in, we should just, you know, maybe learn this request for the precepts. Do you wanna do the request? Okay. Yeah, you can look at the screen. That's right. So if you can follow Anagarika Sarna, and she'll um, lead you through this process, at this beginning process of requesting the refugees and resources. Can you always start with bowing three times first? Yeah. Bow three times. In unison? Yeah. <laughs> Mahamayeti Sanena Saha Panchasidani Achama Mayangayeti Sanena Page seventy two Saha Panchasidani Achama Mayangayeti Sanena Saha Panchasidani Achama Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhasa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato 
Gunhang Sadananga Chami Gulang Sadananga Chami Dhamang Sadananga Chami Dhamang Sadananga Chami Sanghang Sadananga Chami Sanghang Sadananga Chami Dutyampi Budhang Sadananga Chami Dutyampi Dhammang Sarananga Chami Dutyampi Dhammang Sarananga Chami Dutyampi Sanghang Sarananga Chami Dutyampi Sanghang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Bhutang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Bhutang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Dhammang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Dhammang Sarananga Chami Tatiampi Sanghang Sarananga Chami Tadiyampi Sangham Sarananga Chami Tisarnangamanang Nititang Ama Aye Anadipata Veramani Sikabadang Samariyami Anadipata Veramani Sikabadang Samariyami I undertake the precept to refrain from taking the life of any living creature. Adinadana veramani sikabadang samadhyami. Adinadana veramani sikabadang samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from taking that which is not given. Kame sumi chachara veramani sikabadang samadhyami. Kame sumi chachara veramani sikabadang samadhyami. I undertake the precept to refrain from sexual misconduct. Musawada Veratmani Sikabadang Samadhyami Musawada Veratmani Sikabadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from false and harmful speech. Sura Merayama Japamadatana Veratmani Sikabadang Samadhyami I undertake the precept to refrain from consuming intoxicating drinks and drugs due to carelessness. Silena nibutinyanti tasma silam sodaye. Sadu, sadu, sadu. We bow three things. Yes. 
So I think you all probably have a very good understanding of why those three refuges and five precepts are such an important way to identify boundaries and to keep them. It's incredible protection for us and for everyone else. And what just happened? My notes went away. <laughs> okay. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so now I want to talk about a few suttas that the Buddha gave, and I've got them on the screen so people in here can see them, but if you, if so if you want to turn and look at the screen, you can, or you can just listen. It's totally up to you. <clears throat> and you can definitely sit on the carpet, you know, it's like... Um, okay, so this is this is called Jute. It's on Guttara Nikaya 3, number 99, and so in the Book of Threes, and it says Jute Canvas. This is like a heavy, coarse fabric, um, is ugly, unpleasant to touch, and worthless, whether it's new or it's, uh, in this translation, Bhante Sujato says worn in, but it's really just worn, you know, like the fabric is worn, or it's completely worn out, worn out. They use worn out jute canvas for scrubbing pots, or else they just throw it away in the rubbish heap. In the same way, a junior mendicant is unethical, a bad character. This is how they're ugly, I say. That person is just as ugly as jute canvas. If you associate with, accompany, or tend to that person, following their example, it'll be for your lasting harm and suffering. This is how they're unpleasant to touch, I say. That person is just as unpleasant to touch as jute canvas. Any robes, alms, food, lodgings, and medicines, and supplies for the sick that they receive are not very fruitful or beneficial for the donor. This is how they're worthless, I say. That person is just as worthless as jute canvas. This sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? <laughs> this is the Buddha talking. Like the the Buddha wasn't all like flowers and hearts and you know, I mean, there's this incredible kindness, but when people are really corrupt, and this would be really corrupt, you know, you're a mendicant, you've taken the robes, you've taken these precepts, and you're not keeping them. If someone, the Buddha very often spoke quite strongly about someone who's really deceiving others. And that's really what this is. And then he says a junior one, a middle years one with, you know, middle year, like, the way they usually define that is that you're junior until you've been in the robes for five years, and then from five to ten, you're in the middle. And then a senior mendicant. Any of, no matter what your seniority is, if you're unethical, bad character, um, this is, this is uh, you know, really someone you don't want. If we see that, this is really someone we don't want to follow we don't want to associate with, and you don't serve this person. And we'll see more of these uh, kinds of suttas that flesh out some of these um, clear examples of boundaries around, you know, how do you, who do you associate with, 
when do you back away? So um, if such a senior mendicant, like, you know, someone acts like this and they come to a group, a monastery, and if he wants to speak among the Sangha, mendicants are likely to say, what's an incompetent fool like you got to say? <laughs> I guess this is pretty strong. How on earth could you imagine you've got something worth saying? That person, the unethical one, becomes angry and upset and blurts out things that make the Sangha throw them out, as if they were throwing jute canvas away on a rubbish heap. Now again, this is a little bit to balance out the perception that when you're a Buddhist, you're just kind all the time and you're completely um, passive. So that's not really the, the correct approach all the time. Even though sometimes, um, I guess I would say, it's not, um, ideally, none of this would come from harsh, like a, um, aversive or angry position. It would come from a strongly clear, wise position. The Buddha would, um, really strongly um, scold someone who's doing very wrong things <laughs> and it's wisdom that's behind it. And it actually can be the kindest possible thing to do to really try to let someone know that this way of operating is not acceptable at all. Now we get to the nice other side, the cloth from Kasi. <laughs> is beautiful, pleasant to touch, and valuable, whether it's new or worn or worn out. They use worn out cloth from Kasi for wrapping, like in one uh, translation is for like wrapping jewels <laughs> and place, or they place it in a fragrant casket. Like you put that in the cedar chest, you know what I'm saying? And it's in this same way that a junior mendicant, and we'll see the same for the middle and the senior, of good character and at, when they're ethical and of good character, this is how they're beautiful. I say that person is just as beautiful as the cloth from Kasi. And if you associate with a company and attend to such a person following their example, it will be for your lasting welfare and happiness. This is how they're pleasant to touch. I say that person is just as pleasant to touch as the cloth from Kasi. Any robes, alms, full lot, alms, food, lodgings, and medicines, and supplies for the sick that they receive are very beautiful and beneficial for, beneficial for the donor. This is how they're valuable, I say. That person is just as valuable as cloth from Kasi. And the same is true for the middle mendicant, the senior mendicant. And if such a senior mendicant speaks in the midst of the Sangha, the mendicant say, venerables, be quiet. The senior mendicant is speaking on the teaching and the training. So you should train like this. You'll be like cloth from Kasi, not like jute canvas. And that's how you should train. And if you get that one on New Year's, you'll know why. <laughs> we, we take these slips of paper and we put, you know, these quotes from the Buddha, this is how you should train. And so we, people pick them on New Year's Day and see what their um, 
There are words from the Buddha are for the year. <laughs> so maybe you're going to be like cloth, cloth like Kasi. Um, cloth from Kasi. Okay, so any comments or questions about this sutta? Like I said, I kind of started at the... <laughs> yeah, Grace? Well, I, I think it's interesting how judgmental the word, like, that person is worthless, like, you can't really throw them out. It can sound really condemning and judging. And I spent a lot of this time listening to the sutta, trying to reconcile that with the metta dialogue we just had last month. And um, I think it's like, if there's a worthless piece of cloth, you know, when you throw it out, you're not condemning that cloth. It's just not something that you want to use or venerate. Yeah. And just trying to tease out the language because the word worthless can seem so just mean in our culture. And maybe to take it at face value, it just means something that you don't treasure. Yeah, I like that. And I'm not sure what other translations used there either, but I agree. It's, you know, like, it is important. Um, like the Buddha had this boundless compassion and kindness and no ill will whatsoever. So sometimes when we read the suttas or we read the Buddha's words, we might not be putting ourselves in that kind of position if we're thinking in terms of our own kind of disgust uh, or you know negativity, then it might come across a lot differently. Um, and, and I was just, meant, we were talking about this with some folks the other day that um, Ajahn Mahabua used to be really fierce and um, a lot of people were afraid of him because he was so like strident in the way he spoke to people about shaping up, you know. <laughs> and um, Ajahn Pasano uh, said that once when he himself was on retreat, had been on retreat for a while and he was his mind was very sensitive at that time and he was visiting Ajahn Mahabua and he was there when Ajahn Mahabua was kind of telling somebody off and he said you know um, from that place of mental sensitivity all he saw was metta you know so there was this this there's this kindness behind it so I think that is important to remember any other? Yes. I'm also thinking maybe this is holding mendicants to a much higher standard than than the householder. Is that well, in terms of the harsh? The one harsh of the tone? things I want us to consider in all of these cases when the, the teaching the Buddha is given is being addressed to the mendicants is how does that apply to everyone? How does that apply to our normal life in in the world, our householder life, and you know, so we can at least take this to be encouragement to wisely assess whether or not someone is really being unethical and deceitful, and you know, like if someone. Let's say, I don't know, have you had the experience of someone trying to um, take advantage of you through a scam? And how do you respond? 
I mean, I know you have. <laughs> Would you be willing to tell the story? Uh, yes, certainly. So, um, I think uh, last month uh, our doorbell rang and Nita opened the door and uh, there was this person dressed in full um, like uniform of like a utility guy. And, um, you know, in the Bay Area, we get these really huge electricity bills from uh, a utility company called PG&E. I'm giving the name because it'll come again in the story. <laughs> <laughs> PG&E um, is pretty famous. I think there was a movie about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, so he said that he will help us reduce our electricity bill by checking if we've got the right setup on our account. And he had, he is from PG&E and he had peak gas and electric written on his uniform. And, uh, he had his iPad as well. Um, and my wife opened and then she was like, well, Saket, can you just see, you know, so I, I came and anyway, I was already in a meeting and, you know, as things go that same evening, I was coming for our Wednesday Sutta study. <laughs> so I said, look, I'm really busy right now. Like, you know, so like, but he said, I'm very busy too, you know, I, uh, I've come by to help you, but uh, I'm only here for another couple hours. So I said, well, you know, um, just send me a mail, you know, I I'll look at what you have, what you've got. Because he wanted me to log in right there and then so he could help me with my account. So anyway, then he was quite disappointed in me and like, you know, I don't care enough to reduce my low, my electricity bill. <laughs> and then he started going away. And then I just Googled and I found out that actually PG&E doesn't stand for peak gas and electric. It stands for Pacific gas and electric. So then I called up our, um, uh, our, our housing uh, office and the lady there is like, we are scared of her. So she said, I'll deal with them. So <laughs> that was uh, the, the last of those folks. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, again, like a, um, an appropriate pushback. Um, sometimes we get these calls at the Hermitage. Um, I'm trying to remember. Can you, do you remember the nature of it? I, I'm blanking on it right now. Um, from calling from Google? Yeah. Advertising? Uh, no, no. The ones that call that I tell them when I can't remember. Anyway, oh, there are occasions yeah. when <clears throat> social security scams. Oh yeah, I'm calling from the social security office, and <laughs> you know, and then you know, like I, I sometimes I'll talk with them a little bit, and then I explain to them what bad karma they're making, <laughs> and that they really should get a different job. <laughs> Hopefully Some that's laugh. possible. Some of them curse. And Some of them argue with me. Argue. <laughs> I said, "No, we're on to you." I said, "No, no one's on to me." I said, "Believe me, we're on to you. <laughs> we get this." <laughs> anyway, um, yes. Yeah, I think that's it's very important to have those boundaries, and I'm very glad that Buddha actually spoke about it because all this time. Since I joined, I have to be loving, always loving, be kind, and I let people back in my life with that kindness, and then the suffering starts again because we are not very strong people, we are normal people like us. So if we just uh, take everything blindly, that okay, everything, everything, then we are going into that trap again. So we need to see that happiness, suffering, both we need to get over both of them, right? Not too happy, it's sad. 
Yeah. So for this is very important to keep that clarity in mind that I'm not doing it from my the hate hate in, in my heart. There is no hate, but right. I need to protect myself, which I which I need to do. So I'm I'm very glad that he said that because I was like, what are you talking? Oh, this is not working out. No, love is not working out. People started taking advantage. Yeah. Sometimes students too, and sometimes family members too. So I think yes. that's the maturity needs to come. That's the mature level of. Yes, exactly. And you know, right now we're just looking at ethics. It's like, and those five precepts, including substance abuse. I mean, it really. It really is so important. It's like what protects us when we think, okay, I want to be loving, um, boundless love, boundless compassion. You know, well, what protects us when we talk about the, the immeasurable qualities is equanimity. Being equanimous, but there's wisdom there. You know what's right. You know what's wrong. You know what's skillful. You know what's unskillful. And you you're careful you don't let that um, negatively affect you or the people around you to the degree you can and it's it's very important i mean i have heard stories of um, people in a domestic violence situation where the monk says, you have to be more loving, you have to be forgiving, you, have, you know, and it is yeah. not the appropriate advice. <laughs> and so it is important to realize that the Buddha actually had a great clarity around how we should associate with people. And this, this next one is called Associates, and this is in Angutrik Nikaya 3, number 26. These three people are found in the world. What three? There's the person you should not associate with, accompany, or attend. There's the person you should associate with, accompany, and attend. There's the person you should associate with, accompany, and attend with honor and respect. So who's the person you shouldn't associate with, accompany, or attend? So what they're saying is you're, you're not associating with them. You're not, you know spending time with them, going with them places, and you're not waiting on them, serving them. It's someone who is inferior in terms of ethics, immersion, and wisdom. So they're, they're, not, um, they're not at the same point you are in your precepts, in your moral um, values. And, and the Buddha is even saying in in their samadhi or their wisdom. Now, I wouldn't necessarily, you don't want to be too rigid around this. People change all the time. He's saying you shouldn't associate with them when a person who's the one you should associate with is someone who is similar in ethics, immersion, and wisdom. You should associate with and accompany and attend such a person because since your ethical conduct is similar, you can discuss ethics and the conversation will flow and you'll both be at ease. Since immersion is similar, you can discuss your immersion and the same thing, it'll be at ease and your wisdom is similar. So this is a person to spend time with and accompany and attend, but then with a person who's gotten along farther than we have, they're superior in ethics, 
and immersion in wisdom. You associate with them and you tend what's on such a person with honor and respect. So this is another idea again, that not to take it too rigidly, but that idea that you, if, if we are in general spending our time and energy with people who are kind of have the same idea we have, you know, like they're also working on their sila, their samadhi, and their panya. They're, they're also um, developing, and we're kind of at about the same level. It's really good to have that friendship and that conversation, and then to also spend time, if we can, with people who are a bit further down the track or maybe much further down the track, and then you really can, um, you know, fulfill, as it says here, I'll fulfill the entire spectrum of ethical conduct that I haven't yet fulfilled by spending time and associating with this person and supporting them um, or support with wisdom in every situation, the ethical conduct that I've already fulfilled. So you're going to really apply what you already have developed in those situations. So this is a recipe really for our development. Um, and, and not our, um, what do I want to say, uh, loss of, like not losing ground. It, we really are affected by the people we associate with. And so this, again, it's boundaries and discernment. It's maybe not, it's not quite as, I would say this isn't quite as clear cut as some of the ones around this person's really being unethical, this person's really being harsh, but it is a good reminder to move in the right direction and to surround ourselves with people that are moving in the right direction too. So... This idea when you're serving or accompanying someone with honor and respect and you're able to um, really emulate them and fulfill the sila, samadhi, and panya, you know, by being around them and, and apply the, the sila, samadhi, and panya you already have in situations. So it says a, a person who associates with an inferior, so someone who's, who's going the other way <laughs> or they go downhill, but associating with an equal, you'll never decline. So you're not going to lose ground that way. But following the best, you'll quickly rise up. So you should keep company with people better than you. So you can say, well, how's that going to work? It's not to take it too, too definitely, I would say in this case, but that general idea. How do you feel about that one? <laughs> what do you, anybody have comments, questions? Actually, this is the next sutta is the one I thought we might be going. I switched them around a little bit last minute, but this one I've found very valuable in my own experience 
This is on Gutra Nikaya 3.27. It says, you should be disgusted. Three people found in the world, the person who you should be disgusted by or should not associate with, accompany or attend, the person you should regard with equanimity, and you shouldn't be a, you should not associate with and accompany or attend and the person you should associate with. This is the one that I think is even more, has more to tell us and maybe more that we can flesh out about our day-to-day -day interactions. Who's the person you should be disgusted by and not associate with or accompany and attend? It's a person who's unethical of bad qualities, filthy, with suspicious behavior, underhanded, not a true ascetic or spiritual practitioner, though claiming to be one, rotten inside, corrupt and depraved. Okay, that's pretty clear. <laughs> and, you know, you should be disgusted by that. And of course, we could say, I think, in our sort of this time, um, in this culture say we're disgusted by their actions and i do think there's value in not um in knowing that people change and there are causes and conditions for people to be the way they are but it's still the idea of having boundaries around this is important so being disgusted by that behavior, being disgusted and not wanting to, you know, kind of um, have much association with that. And the, and the Buddha is saying here, well, why, even if you don't follow the example of that person, you'll still get a bad reputation just associating with them. Because that individual has bad friends, companions, and associates. And he says, they're like a snake that's been living in a pile of dung. Even if it doesn't bite, it still rubs off on you. In the same way, even if you don't follow that example, etc., you get a bad reputation. That's why you wouldn't want to associate with them. The next one, the person you regard with equanimity, but you don't associate with, is a person who's irritable and bad-tempered. And even when lightly criticized, do they lose their temper, becoming annoyed, hostile, and hard-hearted? They display annoyance, hate, and bitterness. They're like a festering sore, which when you hit it with a stick or a stone, discharges even more. In the same way, someone is irritable and bad-tempered. They're like a firebrand of pale moon ebony. I don't know what that means. <laughs> which when you hit it with a stick or a stone sizzles and crackles even more. I think what that means is that in the fire, there's this like a piece of burning wood that's uh, gotten white and then you hit it with a stick and it like just flares up. In the same way, someone is irritable and bad tempered. They're like a sewer, which when you hit it with a stick or a stone stinks even more. <laughs> It's pretty graphic. <laughs> Someone's irritable and bad-tempered. And even when they're criticized a little, they lose their temper and they're annoyed and hard-hearted and hostile. Um, they display annoyance, hate, and bitterness. You should regard that person with equanimity, and, but don't associate with them or accompany them or attend upon them. 
And why? Because they might abuse and or insult me or do me harm. And that's why you should regard them with equanimity and basically stay clear of them. And I don't know how many people have had this situation. <laughs> I have. Very recently. <laughs> yeah. Um, both Aya Chittananda and I have lived with senior monastics like this. And you say, this shouldn't happen in the monastic life. This is clearly why the Buddha has to say these things. <laughs> you know, and you decide, I'm leaving the situation. You know, this is not healthy. This is really inappropriate. Yes, you can have equanimity and compassion for this person. And I have to say, I think in our more modern context where we really have a lot more um, available in terms of understanding the mind and psychology. I don't think we understood the mind as well as the Buddha did in some ways. <laughs> Maybe we still aren't working on that. But the, psych the advances in psychology, I think a lot of times what's happening in a situation like this is, um, you know, uh, unacknowledged, untreated mental health issues and we don't want to you know equanimity is a is of course uh, important and so is compassion but it's also important if if it is untreated this person is not interested in trying to do anything about their situation then it's better to walk away if you can and so here again, the boundaries, um, we never want to lose our um, kindness and compassion, but we do have to have the wisdom right there and the, and the self-protection. And we're not doing them any good by becoming their punching bag or doormat or whatever it was either. You know, it's like, just get out of there if you can. Um, and, and um, help other people to, um, when they're in such situations, to the degree you can. Any thoughts, comments? Is this going where you thought it might go, Kaylin? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah. I had, and maybe it's more like more subtle as well. Uh, a lot of times I'll seem to associate with normal people or like kind of like nothing too extreme and then it's like oh well how do you speak up for yourself and maybe not so outlandish situations right yes i think um starting with the course and then coming into exactly. more subtle and and i think it's really good to recognize how um, the associations we have affect us and we will see, let me see, I don't know if it's in another one coming up right now. It's almost like start with the course and kind of really get that. Yeah. And then kind of sink that. In. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the big Keep boundaries. <laughs> and then how do we work with those less clear areas? Let's see what the rest of this sutta says. And then I think maybe another sutta coming up here has a little more of that. Um, oh, we're going to the other side. Who should you associate with? This is someone with ethical good character. Um, 
And even if you don't follow their example, you still get a good reputation. <laughs> so there's that. And then this little verse at the end, one who associates with an inferior person goes downhill. It's the same verse we saw before. If you associate with a good person, you'll, you'll get better. You know, when you play tennis, play with someone who's better than you. <laughs> Does the other person get worse, though? <laughs> <laughs> that is the argument. <laughs> See the other person like, oh, you're not as good as me. I'm not going to associate with you. <laughs> um, I guess I have one question here. Mm -hmm. Then um, does this, in a way, does this also lead us to a path of having fewer and fewer uh, friends. <laughs> I knew we were gonna get yes. there. Yes. I know this is okay. So that's the goal. Definitely, that's the goal. No, your friends. No, all your friends are right here. <laughs> this is all the friends you need. This is all the friends you need. <laughs> yes. So yes, both of these comments that we pulled out into like I would say more the the landscape that we're usually navigating right and and this kind of um, thing that happens when you pick up the practice of Dhamma and then you lose interest in the things that you had interest in before and the people you associated with before you don't have as much in common and you um, start to, you know, kind of drift apart. And sometimes that drifting apart is fine. And other times, um, well, I think at other times you either cannot drift apart or you don't want to. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend you've had for a long time. And when I reflect on this and and the... Um, times this has happened in my own personal experience, I feel like the, the most um, beneficial way of approaching it, if I want to continue in that relationship and I want to, you know, foster that relationship for other reasons, then it's really to, um, you know, never, never think of yourself as a, well, I have a, a higher standard <laughs> or I have, you know, that would be, that would be the counterproductive uh, for your practice and for, for the relationship, but instead to find what is um, worthy of your attention in that relationship and with that person. So really making an effort to listen to them really making an effort to be present with them. And you can even use the practice as a way of being calm and happy and content and kind and really being present with them. So let's say it's your sibling or your parent or someone, or like I said, a dear old friend. You're not on the same page anymore, but you can make an effort to really mind, mindfully listen to what is important to them. And, you know, just, you know, like I get, we all have these people in our life, you know, where we really don't have much common ground, but you also care about them in a way, or, you know, like, um, 
when we have certain relationships, we have a kind of access to someone in their life in a way that you don't with other people. And so if you want to maintain that, then it's taking an interest, taking an interest in what they care about, even if it's not your thing. As long as it's wholesome or not unwholesome. And there's a whole lot of things in the world that you might say, well, that's not where I want to spend my time because I want to develop my mind and it's not going to be this silly movie or this, um, you know, kind of activity that you don't value very much. But if it has to do with that relationship and you can have that connection and that that's beneficial for them and possibly also for you, then you maintain it. Yeah. I just wanted to uh, say that uh, until uh, our minds are strong enough to stay detached and doing whatever, but still staying detached, we need to have this uh, community of people that we can associate with. Otherwise, we will keep on going yes. back and forth, back and forth, which is not going to help us at all. That's right. I agree with you completely. Could you hear Wandana online? Yeah, sort of. Yes. Okay. Sorry. I can't see everybody, but okay. So yeah. So this idea of not getting until we have the strength and clarity to stay um, clear in our own, um, you know, all three of those categories of our ethics and our and our uh, mental stillness and calm and our wisdom to be able to maintain that. We need to not be going back and forth into relationships that pull us away from that to the degree that we can um, stay clear. Yeah. Did you want to say something? Yeah, I mean, a little bit of my experience, because um, I agree with you. I'm still practicing. My mind is not that strong and stable enough. And sometimes I can't be selective what behavior I can walk away from, right? So a few things I use to kind of remind myself. First is like um, when someone's like throwing anger at me, I understand the Buddha taught. If you get angry back, you are even worse. Use that to remind myself. And also to apply like metta as complete acceptance, accept the person as who he or she is in that moment, and also accept the situation. And sort of remind myself, maybe it's karma. I might have done this in the past to this person. So just kind of, if this situation or the person is coming to kind of get something back, I should be relieved to pay it back. Yeah. And that's it, right? Yeah. And also one last thing is like, if someone's angry, it's like that person's holding a fireball and trying to throw at me. If I don't have self to be there and take it, it's just like throw past me. I'm just like completely transparent mm -hmm. and trying to like become less and less about self and kind of live in this kind of reality of things. So still practicing. Sometimes I got pulled into it. So I'm like, okay, think this thing, think this <laughs> thing, right? And then I can kind of go through the situation yeah. more quietly and less reactive you know and that's actually you know that actually is very strong <laughs> to do those things to yes. remind ourselves to hold back to be restrained 
to recognize that, yeah, the minute we pick up anger and respond in anger, we are, I don't know about worse. I think maybe that idea helps us to be more restrained, but certainly we're feeding the anger in the other person and we're letting this, um, poison run free in our own system. And so we definitely want to use those cues and, and anyone might want need to find their own. But then, you know, stepping back and looking at the bigger picture, like how much of this uh, can I work with, depending on the relationship, maybe this is something that is okay to walk away from. Or maybe it isn't. Maybe this is something where I need to try, but they also have to try. <laughs> so that's kind of where I think it is. Yes, it's just interesting how all the suttas that we've read so far are all about association or like people and kind of cultivating good ethical people and letting go of others. I don't know. Just, yeah. There's a very strong pattern. Yes. Or fundamental. Yeah. And, and the Buddha was very strong and his, you know, like, because what's the goal from the Buddhist perspective, it's the awakened mind and it's not, it's liberation and the stuff that happens, you know, throughout your life. He's like, yeah, you've been doing that for lifetimes. That's been going on forever. And it's going to keep going on forever if you keep doing the same things. So stop doing the same things and, you know, like really move in that direction. If there are things holding you back, let them go. Grace, oh, yes, Grace. Um, can I share two things? Yes. So when, when I was hearing the sutta, I was really struck by the disgust versus the equanimity. Mm -hmm. And again, I was trying to reconcile that with the idea of being disgusted by someone while also being equanimous and loving and kind. Mm -hmm. And I want to run what I came up with by you and okay. see how it jives. So I think maybe instead of thinking like, oh, I'm disgusted by John Smith, it's more of when I think of the feeling of disgust, it's like, a, oh, not for me. I'm going to go out of my way to not be around that thing or that person. Yes. Okay. Versus equanimity. Like if I hear of John Smith, who's a bad character at a party, I'll be like, I don't care who else is there. I don't want to go. Versus the equanimity is like, Oh, John Smith is at this party. I'll stay for a while and, and, and not be in a hurry to leave. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. And you can tell by the sort of level of severity of the action, you know, like, um, and then there's still a range within that unethical, disgusting behavior. Mm -hmm. You know, some people are out and out incredibly mm -hmm. dangerous. Mm -hmm. And other people are, you know, like, you know what they're up to and you're not going to get involved in that and you're not going to be around that, but you don't have to run. <laughs> you know, like, and so just being really aware um, and not being, I mean, I think what happens, and I know I had this at the beginning when I picked up Buddhism, it's like, oh, we're just supposed to be so loving and kind and accepting and, 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 you know, yeah, and then to start to get that sense of, no, wait a minute, we need to have wisdom and discernment here and not not condone and um, ex expose ourselves to these things that are really harmful and dangerous or um, 
you know, like uh, downpulling, eroding our own mm -hmm. ethics, those kinds of things. Yeah, yeah two, two things. If I remember right, um, these ideas about associating with the wise and not associating with the unwise are part of right effort. Is that? It's not exactly in the right effort de de a definition, which is talking about your mental states, but it has a close connection because right effort is you're noticing, you're, you're trying to cultivate wholesome mental states. And when they've arisen, you, you try to uh, keep them going. And when unwholesome things arise, you, you learn how to calm them down and try to keep the ones that haven't arisen down already. Okay, so that's mental, right? And it's interesting that that's what right effort is and not something physical in the world, but it all starts there. And then this is really like, oh yeah, well, the people we're around um, have a huge impact on that. You know, like if, if, and this, and this is actually going to come up here very soon. Um, not in this sutta that's next, but this idea that, you know, if you're in a situation where the unwholesome mental states are increasing and your fit wholesome mental states are decreasing and you think about leaving, exactly. we'll get, we'll get to that more in a minute. I, I kind of use the five precepts as a way to help guide who to hang out with. With yes. the exception of the intoxicants, I honestly, if somebody's just having a glass of wine, uh -huh. you know, it's okay with me if they're doing that. Um, but I'm not, I don't hang around people who, you know, get drunk and that kind of thing. But for example, um, there's this person who keeps saying, oh, let's get together and we'll make appointments and we'll, and, and this person cancels every time. And I realize like that's a form of false speech to me. Right. They're saying, not very reliable. Yeah. And so, okay, that's, I don't need to spend more time trying to. Yeah. It's funny. We have a similar kind of thing sometimes at the monastery. Someone will make a plan um, to come to visit and then change it and then do it again and then change it and then do it again and then change it the last minute, you know, like even, or we contact them and they're like, oh yeah, I'm not coming. And it's like, yeah, <laughs> it's not, not so reliable, you know, and it kind of like puts a little caution uh, in into the mix. Yeah. Um, kind of like about the suits and kind of like Grace was saying about you know, thinking about people's actions and stuff, disgusting. Um, there was something that happened to me a couple weeks ago. I work in a very good area of town. Um, and I was robbed at gunpoint by some people. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm okay, I'm alive, obviously, but um, in terms of thinking about them, I just don't know. Even now, I'm kind of like grappling with like, should I be disgusted? Should I have compassion for them and understand that it's like causes and conditions that happen for them to be in that situation to do that to me? Um, yeah, I just really didn't know how to think about that situation. Yeah, I. You know, I mean, obviously, my own. I don't know if you could you hear Dahlia online. She was she was robbed at gunpoint uh, in this really very nice sick area where she works. Oh, I, I don't I don't work in the area. Oh no, I'm sorry. What did you? 
You, I'm sorry, maybe I didn't hear what you said either. <laughs> uh, I, I work in a not-so-good area. In not-such-a-good not area. area. Okay. And then that's, that's the part I missed. Yeah. And then, so <laughs> not-such-a-good-area-of-town. <laughs> and got robbed by gunpoint. And her reflection is, you know, do I look upon that with disgust? Or do I see with compassion that these people under these causes and conditions have come to this point of doing this kind of thing. And of course I have my, um, immediately what I would say to that, but when you reflect on this, do you have a sense of what uplifts your mind or what brings you, like, do you, can, can you come to a place of feeling solid and clear? And what is what is the thought? What are the thoughts that bring that? Do I feel solid and clear, reflecting on what happened to me? Yeah, and and the way in which you would relate to it, like you're saying. Hmm. Um, I guess it, some time has passed, and. It definitely made me reflect more on death, like mortality, mm -hmm. um, and it kind of gave like a resurgence of like needing to practice mm -hmm. because even though I'm young um, and like I'm not gonna like you know I'm not gonna suffer from like old age now. Life is still not guaranteed, mm -hmm. um, and that it really propelled um, thinking that. I, I need to prioritize practice, I need to prioritize being around good people, um, because even if you do everything right, a lot of things are not guaranteed. Yes. And that I have, um, I, I'm, I'm very sad that, you know, there are people like that out there, um, but, you know, if they had everything, if they were met with kind people, um, if they weren't in, you know, those certain causes and conditions, that wouldn't have happened, and it might have just been my karma to encounter those people, but I was lucky enough to only escape with my things taken from me. Yeah. Um, yeah. That was kind of my reflection, but in terms of, you know, when I talk about it with other people, they say, like, oh, like, you don't have to sympathize with them, like, what they did was truly wrong, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, yeah. <coughs> yeah. Pretty cute. Yeah. yeah. So, so my thought about it is, yes, what they did is truly wrong, <laughs> and we can still have the, the reflection on, I mean, I think what you're, what you're doing with this is great, the fact that that can bring into a more clear relief the importance of what we do with our time, how we spend our time, that our life can end at any time for any number of reasons. That's an important reflection. And I think around this idea of how do we relate to this kind of thing in the world is to have the disgust for that action and have the equanimity, you know, with regards to the person and have the, you know, appreciation for the fact that, you know, societally, or the, you know, the conditions, the causes and conditions that can bring that about are there. So it's like those things, you know, the equanimity, um, that's about wisdom. The disgust about the act action, that's about wisdom. 
you know, clearly it's wrong. Clearly um, there's, this is part of the world and it's always been part of the world. And it's always gonna be because greed, hatred and delusion exist in samsara and it's not going to um, ever be eradicated. So it's, so I think that it's important to have that clarity and also, yeah, it, um, we just never know. And, and, and the things you're talking about with karma, uh, there is a sutta where the Buddha says that there are some things that are not related to karma and being attacked is one of them. So you might appreciate that it could be part of our karma, but it also could just not have anything to do with our karma. Just as a Dhamma lesson. What'd you say? Just like a Dhamma lesson she took. A Dhamma lesson, well, yeah. You know, the beautiful thing about picking up practice is that we can practice with anything that comes along, and if we do make use of whatever the circumstances are, then that's to our benefit. So, yeah, it's not like someone else is giving us dhamma lessons, <laughs> controlling everything. It's more like, yeah, there's all this stuff going on. Sometimes we get caught in the middle of it. Sometimes we get, you know, it comes towards us because of our karma. But, you know, it's like whatever it is, whatever is happening now, we need to practice the best we can with it. Did you have something you wanted to say earlier, Sakit? No. Yeah. Okay. I'm good, thank you. Everybody online, do you have any questions or comments? Not at the moment. Okay. Okay, I, so this, oh, yes? Sorry, I just had one thing. Disgust is such a strong word that it, like, um. It is indeed. And I, I guess I have a little bit of trouble with it. Um, I don't know. And I like the, the thought more of disgusting. Well, yeah, like it's just a very strong, it's just, it's just a very strong word. And I, I think holding something with equanimity, as you said, at the same time helps, I guess, maybe that helps so that it, uh, I don't know. Just I think the distinction that's important, Monica, is that the disgust is about that what's happening, but the mind doesn't take on a version. We don't have it. Ideally, where our mind is not um, gone has not gone negative. There, it's that the mind is clearly seeing that that's a really bad thing to do (laughs) and there's that disgust for the badness of it (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know so i think that that's true it's like if you if you hold some of these teachings in tandem like right effort and increasing the the skillful qualities and wholesome mental states and decreasing the unwholesome mental states, then even having disgust about someone's bad behavior is not going to make an unwholesome mental state in your mind. Right. Yeah, I think that's what, like, I don't <clears throat> go down the path of, you know, and just get carried away by disgust or whatever. Exactly. Right. 
Yeah. But just um, that's just discussed in there. That's it. Like not make a whole story out of it. Yeah. Right. Right. That's right. Exactly. And that's part of our own mindfulness and our own stability of mind. Can they make a distinction between the disgust of the actions versus the person? Yeah, as I know. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the way we talk about things now that we can, like, you know, in, in, include in this kind of teaching. You know, I think it's very important to see that distinction. Because the Buddha had that compassion for people. And it's really interesting, like, someone would do something really wrong. And in fact, we're going we're gonna to see it in this sutta. It's not so terrible. But even when people did things that were really wrong and they came back to the Buddha and they would confess it. And, and then, you know, every, whenever they, he would see them, he would treat them like everybody else. You know, he didn't hold on to any kind of like, oh, you know, did that thing. You know? <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to see this here in this sutta a little bit. So uh, the Buddha was in this... Uh, town in in the Kosala, Kosala, and this monk, Kasapa Gata, Kasapa Gata, uh, he was listening to the Buddha giving a talk about the monastic rules, and he he um, got kind of impatient and bitter, and he's thinking that this ascetic is much too strict. You know, probably trying to be defensive of something he's not doing quite up to par, maybe or whatever. But um, and then the Buddha left and was traveling somewhere else. And this Kasapa, he said, he became quite remorseful and regretted thinking that, um, thinking, well, it's my loss, my misfortune that when the Buddha was talking about the training rules, I became impatient and bitter thinking he was much too strict, I should go to the Buddha and, and confess. And so he does, he takes his bowl and robe, he goes, and then he says to the Buddha, you know, he, he sees the Buddha, he bows, he sits down to one side and he says, you know, I made a mistake. It was foolish, stupid, and unskillful of me to become impatient and bitter when the Buddha was educating, encouraging, firing up, and inspiring the mendicants with a Dhamma talk about the training rules and to think this ascetic is much too strict. Please, sir, accept my mistake for what it is, so I will restrain myself in the future. And this is exactly the way we do confession. You know, you talk about what happened and you ask for um, sort of an acknowledgement of what you did there. And, and the Buddha always says this kind of like right back at you. Indeed, you made a mistake. Um, but since you recognized your mistake, um, for what it is and have dealt with it properly, I accept it. For it is growth in the training of the noble ones to recognize a mistake for what it is, deal with it properly, and commit to restraint in the future. And then Kasapa, he says, Kasapa, take the case of a senior mendicant who doesn't want to train and doesn't praise taking up the training. They don't encourage other mendicants who don't want to train and to take up the training. And they don't truthfully and correctly praise at the right time those mendicants who do take up the training. He said, the Buddha said that he doesn't 
praise that kind of senior mendicant. Why? Because hearing that I praised that mendicant, other mendicants might want to keep company with them, and then they might want to follow their example, which would be for their lasting harm and suffering. And that's why I don't praise a senior mendicant who's basically not training. And it's the same for any other level of seniority. So this is kind of, well, first of all, I wanted to highlight that, you know, like, okay, I made a mistake. I acknowledge it and I want to do better in the future. And that's just the way we should handle it with ourselves and with others. So, so when we talk about boundaries, you know, it's not like, well, we have a problem with someone and we're just call it off right there. But if this kind of, well, I'm sorry, please forgive me. I won't do it again. But then that happens again and again and again and again and replay. And they really don't pick up a practice to change their behavior. And they don't really, um, you know, have any new insight that causes them to change their behavior or someone is just that we know just decided to leave her partner. Um, there's an addiction problem in that situation. And there's always this, oh, I'm going to stop and I'm going to be better. And then for a while, there's a lot less of that problem. And then it's like, oh, it's so much better and everything's going fine. And then pretty soon we're back at the same thing again. And this is a pattern that we want to be aware of, not to get caught up in you know, like these kind of sort of very temporary um, movements towards the right direction. Just because, again, our life is precious and our practice is important and it's important to um, also not condone. So the Buddha is saying like, hey, if you condone this kind of thing, if you support this, even if like he praises someone who's really not doing the training, then that turns out to be a, what you're you know, promoting in the world. And, and in this kind of situation that I just described, of course, it's more personally impactful than maybe for others. But this person also has children. You know, you don't want to be that kind of example to them either. And so this is... This is just kind of like, you know, if a person, well, the Buddha is saying if a person is doing the right thing, they are training, they are encouraging others to train, they are, you know, encouraging, um, you know, then and truthfully and correctly praise others and they're doing the right things. And if he praises that kind of person, then people want to spend time with him, keep company with them, they follow their example and ask for their lasting welfare and happiness. And so here it's also like we can look at the longer view, like what is the result of this down the road? Sometimes we think, well, I can, I can handle it. I'm not going to let my own mind deteriorate. I'm not going to let my own ethics deteriorate being in this situation. But it may have effects on others. And it also may have effects on us that we're not able to see this, this kind of eroding over time. So it's also important to look at that. Um, how many more of these do I have before the meal? Excuse me, I'm just gonna take a quick look. Try not to get dizzy if you don't wanna look. Oh, only one more. Okay, we're gonna 
<laughs> Do this last one, and then we're going to take a break. This is in, uh, in Gutra 9, number 6. Um, this is where Venerable Sariputta addresses the mendicants. He says, you should distinguish two kinds of people, those to associate with and those not to associate with, and distinguish two kinds of robes, two kinds of alms food. So this is kind of like we can look at whatever our situation is, the neighborhood we live in, when it says two kinds of lodging, two kinds of market towns, so two kinds of towns, two kinds of countries. So really looking at your whole context, those you should frequent and those you shouldn't frequent. So you should distinguish between these people like, okay, if, um, let's see, who are the ones? So this is that you should distinguish those you should associate with. Who are the ones you should and shouldn't associate with? Well, you should, you should, should you know a person? When I associate with this person, unskillful qualities grow as skillful qualities decline. And the necessities of life uh, for our rec for renunciant, robes, alms, food, lodgings, and medicine, and supplies for the sick are hard to come by. And the goal of the ascetic life for which I went forth from lay life to homelessness is not being fully developed. In this case, you should leave that person at that very time of the day or night without asking. You should not follow them. So let's put this more in like ordinary terms. So this is like, well, first on a sort of mendicant level, like if, if I'm staying in a monastery where my unskillful qualities are increasing and my skillful qualities are decreasing, whatever that might be related to. And the, the requisites are hard to come by. That's probably because there's some um, harshness, negativity, lack of skill, um, you know, the the maybe the senior monastic isn't sharing with the junior ones or there's something like that is going on and they're like you just you can just pick up and leave anytime don't follow them and then the other one is you associate with a person and your unskillful qualities are growing and your skillful qualities declining so same thing again but the necessities of life are easy to come by. So you're getting all the stuff, you, the food you need and the shelter you need, but your mental states are still, you, your practice is not going well. In that case, you should leave that person after reflecting, but without asking. Don't follow them. So it's like still there's some real problem there. But the Buddha doesn't say, oh, if this is going on, in this case, it's just entirely based on the, the development of your mind. So instead of getting into like all the different possibilities of what that could be causing that, that's where you're putting the attention. Is this helping me be better or is this causing me to be worse? And then the next case is your skillful qualities are growing. 
and your unskillful qualities are decreasing. But the requisites are hard to come by. It says, and the, and the goal of the home, holy life is being developed because your skillful qualities are increasing. Then you should follow that person after you think it over, consider it. You shouldn't leave. Even though it's hard to get food and all of that. Finally, it's the final one. Your skillful qualities are growing. You're, um, you know, um, goal of the holy life is, is being developed. And the requisites are easy to come by. And it says you should follow this person and never leave them. Even if they want to send you away, you stay. <laughs> so, you know, like, Put it in your context with work, say, you've got a good manager, finally. <laughs> Do what you can to stay there. <laughs> well, that's what they said when I was, you know, contemplating doing a PhD. They said, it's all about your um, advisor, you know, the person who supports you. You know, you, you need to have, if you have that, then it's going to be okay. So that's that's the kind of idea. So... What's interesting is then it goes on to distinguish between like what you wear, what you eat, where you live, um, what kind of town you live in or you spend time in and the country you live in. So in all cases, are your qual mental qualities, are your skillful qualities increasing or decreasing? Are your unskillful qualities growing and your skillful qualities declining or is it the other way around? And then, you know, think about whether or not you want to change that situation. And sometimes it's just, you know, like those physical or um, material things really do have a big impact. So I also think this comes into boundaries. I mean, it's not the, the subtle one that we, you know, Kaylin was mentioning, but even in that one, it's like, you know, Where's our mind going in this situation when we, you know, are sometimes working with a difficult situation helps us to develop. And sometimes it just really kind of erodes our, our own state of well-being. And, and that's really the criterion to look at rather than is, is this what's this person doing? They're doing something wrong or whatever, you know, we can do what we can to try to encourage that to be corrected, but we don't have control over that. We may not have the permission to do that. And so then ultimately we have to look at ourselves and how does this affect me? So you, you want to say more? About this one's interesting to me because there's this idea, at least in Buddhism a lot, where just be equanimous with what is. Be okay with your lodging, with your food, or whatever, or your surroundings. And this is basically saying, not necessarily. Yeah. You can, yeah, yeah. Yes. Like don't just be happy and content and just sit, but even if things aren't working out or whatever. Yes. And this is what is important about reading the suttas um, sort of a lot, <laughs> because you'll see the one that says, Oh, this, this kind of mendicant is great because they're content with whatever, right? And then you see this other side of it. 
And it's both true. Correct. Yes. Which is great. <laughs> you know, and having the wisdom to know for yes. you and your situation when to follow this sutta versus when to not. And we all know that that is deep down when you reflect. Yeah. But I think in, in a sense, we get into trouble when we take that one sutta that I'm supposed to be content with everything mm -hmm. and you just keep heaping on. Well, you apply it to everything. Yes. And then really we're operating without wisdom. And we don't have the protection that we need that, you know, like that part right at the beginning in my notes, it's like, what do we need? Why do we need boundaries? We need to make sure that we're protected. Other people are protected. You know, we are not drifting over into something that's unwholesome and debilitating. We're, we're not drifting over into condoning bad behavior and, and allowing that to continue. And yet we're also not pulling in negative states of mind. We're really being mindful of is my, are my unskillful qualities growing here that I'm not doing this in the way that I need to do it. Maybe the mendicant who is content with everything was in the third category where, you know, yeah. even if there's no requisites, their wholesome factors are increasing. They're content with those material, that material inadequacy, but we got to be making, you know, like, I don't know if I say we've got to be making progress, that's not quite the right way to phrase it because it's not like progress is this, you know, linear increase, <laughs> but it's also that it's not like really taking you down. Like I've been in situations where the mind starts to go more and more dark mm -hmm. and it's important to go. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask is like, I can see the uh, kind of the bigger picture of like, oh, like this is when I need to make a boundary. This is when I need to make a boundary. But like the internal world is like kind of what I'm concerned with is like, how do I navigate that for myself? Because sometimes there's this um, delusion of like, you're just going along your life, not even realizing that you need to create a boundary. Yeah. And like investigating to the uh, like how we make those boundaries and like um, the skillfulness in uh, right speech. And I heard this um, like analogy about creating a boundary like the rubber around the uh, refrigerator. The gasket. Yeah, it doesn't around. slam shut. It's firm, but it's also soft. Nice. I really, that really resonated with me, but um, yeah, for so much of my life, I just was letting everything in, you know, and just, uh, it's been a process on the path of creating those filters and the right uh, wisdom to decide, oh, I want this, this is going to lead me further in the path. This is going to lead me towards my spiritual goals. So I'm wondering, yeah, I guess my question is, if, um, I mean, I guess there's a the whole Dhamma that kind of points to that. <laughs> but um, maybe if anybody else wants to share, or if you have no, anything No, that was really good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking of this one situation I was in as a nun, and um, it, the, the situation was very serious, <laughs> I would say. I would say the most psychologically dangerous thing I've done in my life to stay in this particular situation. And 
I did everything that I could to try to help improve that situation. And then I needed to leave. The right thing was to go. And it's like, that's, you know, like we can, we can try to be as skillful as we can bring as much, you know, many skillful, um, approaches into the situation that we can, we can make that boundary and, you know, like, but as long as being in that situation, I didn't have the influence to actually help it change. And then it's like, okay, at some point we have to make that decision. Yeah, well, I, just, I just wanted to mention that I always try to remind myself that path to liberation is always individual. So mm -hmm. you can have Sangha and everything, but you walk alone. So you need to be prepared for that. that every time you take any any decisions or anything, like everything taking as a Dhamma lesson. And uh, it's I always try to connect with my psychology a little bit, which knowledge I have. So it's like nature and nurture, so meaning uh, environment is very, very influential. Yeah. And of course, you're born with your karma, so I take nature as like that. It's not only genetic, it's like karma you're born with. So sometimes you can't deal with everything because that's not well, that's not going to help you in the path. So you have to be mindful enough that you walk with integrity and try not to take everything in. So it's, it's, it's a work in progress, yeah. but now becoming more clear. Like when I was leaving, my cat, he, he was looking at me, oh, you're leaving. So he just like said, I love you so much. But our journeys are individual. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to the meditation center and you're not going. It's just how it is today. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. I, I take it very seriously, actually. When I communicate with my cats or any words or anybody, like, it's, it's, we all are the same, right? We all have the same energy, chi, whatever you call it. We need to communicate with compassion with everyone, but at the same time, just remembering that our journeys are individual. We can't change everything around us. We just have to look at Buddha. He got enlightenment by himself first, and then he started teaching. <laughs> yeah. Just, just a thought, sorry. <laughs> no, no, that's good. Yes, thanks. Well, I wanted to. A few weeks ago, as you just studied, I think, you said this thing that brought so much delight to me, which is you, the game that you played, uh, what would Ar Arhant do? And then you asked Ajahn Pasano, I don't know if you want to finish the story, but I think it applies. <laughs> yeah, so I was uh, renting a house near a bikery and um, the landlord uh, seemed to have the idea that they could just kind of like, um, well, do some things that I felt were inappropriate. So basically like they came to do some work on the property to cut some branches back and stuff. And then they're like, well, now I'll take a shower. In your bathroom. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> or, you know, like a kind of hint, like, yeah, the previous tenant used to let me stay over in the other room, in the other, in the other bedroom. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm renting this house. This is not okay. And you know, like, oh, now we're gonna like, like, cook lunch in your kitchen. I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm trying to like work with this, and I'm thinking, okay, what would an arahant do? That was my favorite game at the time. <laughs> and I thought, okay, 
But an arahant, and I said this to Ajahn Pasano, so I said, Ajahn Pasano, so this is the situation. And it's like, you know, like, what would an arahant do? Would an arahant just be incredibly loving? And yeah, sure, come. And I just made some cookies, so please have some. You know, it's like, or, you know, and, and he said, well, it depends on the arahant. He said, they might do that, or they might be chasing them off the property with a stick. You know, it's like, I was like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Second so option seems nice. Mm -hmm. What? Second option seems nice. Second option seems like it was really appropriate, don't you think? What did I do? I wrote them a letter and I really tried to craft this letter in a very good way, you know, with all the I statements and everything. They got really mad. <laughs> Oh, well. <laughs> then I just went off and became a nun. <laughs> <laughs> Broken Lisa, yeah. <laughs> Was that a blessing in disguise? No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, made for a good story now. <laughs> Not in the moment. <laughs> oh, it wasn't so bad. But, you know, it was a good lesson. Um, we need to have boundaries. <laughs> it's also interesting how like, you craft something so well and like try to make it so nice and people still, I don't know, get yeah. angry or take oh, it yeah. the wrong way I or mean, misinterpret it or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I've actually found that um, if I say something in a really nice way and, and try hard to set a boundary, very often the person will ignore it and I'll have to say something again. I'll say something three times. And then I have to say it much more firmly that third time. There's just some, I don't know if yeah. anybody else has yeah, had that experience. Yes, exactly. They'll ignore the nice. Well, and, he, and the nice, sometimes yeah. you have to put it in writing. Yeah. I've seen yeah. times when I've said the same thing over and over again, then I put it in writing and suddenly it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that too. But yeah, definitely. I heard this uh, book title. It sticks with me called uh, The Courage to Be Disliked. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I even need to read the book. <laughs> yeah, it reminds me of, a, of another conversation I had with Ajahn Pasano after I had to ask someone to leave the monastery and I had to get really firm about it because it was not happening. And, um, and I said to Ajahn Pasano, have you ever had to throw anyone out of the monastery? And he's like, oh, yes. <laughs> and did they say awful things about you afterwards? Oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Suddenly I felt like I was at least in some pretty good company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sometimes it's really crucial. I mean, you can't, you can't let things continue when you have some responsibility that keeps people, other people in harm of any kind, psychologically or whatever, you know, and um, this life is a mess. You just have to realize it's messy and there's no way it's all gonna, you know, like your beautiful, well-crafted, completely empathetic letter is not gonna be like, it's not gonna create rage. <laughs> I remember Ajahn Sujaj said, you should, we shouldn't be here in the first place. We are in the samsara, Ajahn Suchar. Oh, yes, I know, Ajahn Suchar. Yes. We are here, but we are here because of our karma. Oh, exactly. And yes. so, yes, get enlightened. 
get out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but first we have to get lunch. <laughs> so I'm kind of thinking we'll come back about uh, 1.30. It's like 11. And we'll, we can do meditation and uh, sitting and walking and so on in between. And I know for those of you who are like in Europe and England and um, Finland and, you know, like it's probably going to be bedtime pretty soon <laughs> or something. But um, I was thinking that at 1.30 we would have uh, a bit more teaching and discussion. And then again at 3.30 we'll kind of come together with a final like uh, Q&A discussion time before we end the day. So um, I'm going to put a, a little, um, I'm going to share a little screen that says when we're coming back on there in case anyone else joins us in the meanwhile. And I hope that everybody has a good couple hours of practice before we come back to talk more. All right. Thank you all. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.